We're going to let our kids go this morning if you are a child. Only if you're actually a child, not just acting like a child. They don't have room over there for all of that. If you want to get ahead of the game this morning, it's, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 26. I want to share this morning about um, kind of this contrast that most people don't want to deal with in their lives, and that's uh, brokenness. Uh, I see a world around that wants blessing and favor and promotion, and they want all the good benefits, but what happens when God calls us to something hard? What happens when God calls us to a brokenness? on purpose, that it's not an accident, but it's on purpose, and it's hard, and you may not see the benefit in it, and, and yet there is benefit in that brokenness. And, and the reason why this is so important is you have to ask yourself this morning, what kind of a person do you want to be? Person of integrity? You want to be a person of high character? You want to be a person that has godly values? Or do you just want to be successful? I know successful people that will do whatever it takes, and that means sometimes you can step on people. That means you'll lie, you'll cheat, you'll steal to whatever gets you ahead, and, and, and that is not what God has called us to be. God has called us to be fruitful people. God has called us to be faithful people. And it doesn't mean we can't be successful, but I'll tell you what, all that charisma and all that stuff, they may, that may get you in the room and that may get you the job, but character is what keeps you the job. Character is what keeps your relationships. Character is what sustains your marriage. Character is what you want to pass on to your children. Not just charisma, because charisma can come and go, but without character, you're going to find yourself in a deficit that you don't want to find yourself in. And so you kind of have to ask yourself, what, you know, what kind of a person do you want to be this morning? Do you want to be uh, the ketchup bottle that only, the only way that good stuff comes out of you is your life gets turned upside down? <laughs> do you want to be the Walmart flashlight that you've got to get whacked a few times before you actually work? Or do you want to be a tube of toothpaste that when it gets squeezed, we see what comes out? Because that's truly our life. When we get squeezed, we see what comes out. When pressure is applied to your life, we see what comes out. What comes out of you when the pressure gets applied? Anger? Fear? Frustration? Trust? Hope? Faithfulness? And I believe it's progressive. I, don't, I believe it's something that God calls us to, that He's working us through. But what happens is most of the time, especially in our Western world, we have such a low pain threshold that any time we begin to feel squeezed, we back away. And we actually even say, even maybe not out loud, but in our hearts, if this is what it means to follow Christ, I don't want any part of that. This can't be of God because bad things are happening. This can't be of God because I'm, I'm feeling such pressure. And yet, we're going to see from an incredible story this morning that God applies pressure a lot. And it has nothing to do with how it feels. It has nothing to do with outside of His will or that somehow you've messed up. It's just the fact that He's trying to get us to see what's inside of us. He already knows what's inside of us, but He's trying to get us to see what's inside of us. You see, it's great when we hear about miracles and like Melissa said, you do something and, oh, grab that fish. Oh, there's a coin inside. That's, that's great, man. I'd love to find a whole a whole pond full of those fish. But God, on a lot of occasions, if you read His Word, He has encounters with people that He calls them to do something hard, and then the benefit comes after that. You think about Abraham, that He blessed him. And He said, you're going to have all these, you're going to be the father of many nations. And he waited and waited and waited and waited and waited and waited. And 25 years later, he finally has the son of promise. After a little hiccup in the middle, you have to read the story yourself. Finally has the son of promise. And he's like, finally, I see the, the blessings, the benefits of God. And then God says, uh, I want you to sacrifice that son. I want you to go out into the wilderness. I want you to bind him to the wood. And I want you to sacrifice him. Now, do you think that that was hard? 
He had no promise of another son. He had no promise that God was going to do anything. And what's amazing is after that moment, God began to call Abraham a friend. But I can tell you that was hard. You think of the turmoil of Paul, shipwrecked, beaten, left alone, hungry, naked, starving, all of those things. And never once did God leave him. And yet he called him to those hard things and it revealed what was in him. And and Paul kept saying, I'm a servant of the Lord. I'm a servant of, in fact, I'm a chief of sinners. Paul knew what was inside of him and God knew what was inside of him. But we have to come to grips with what's inside of us. And the only way we do that is through pressure because many of us have learned rewarding behavior. And there are people here sitting here this morning, maybe they're sitting next to you, they're just rule keepers. They've learned to do the right thing at the right time. There are people that want to do good. But when pressure gets applied, you find out whether they're really, quote, good or not because you're going to find out what comes out of their mouth. And, And listen, make no mistake this morning. The mouth is just a microphone of the heart. Because if it's in there, the mouth will make it come out. (laughs) And there are people who seem steady until pressure gets applied. People that seem like good people until pressure gets applied. And then fear and accusation and mistrust and profanity and doubting and cursing and all kinds of stuff comes out. And then you realize that's actually in there. And that's why I say it's like a tube of toothpaste. All those tubes look different, right? That's how they brand it. But when you squeeze it, most of the time, it looks the same. Sometimes it's blue or white. You got one that's even three different colors. But it's impossible to get that stuff out without some squeezing going on. And God's doing that for our benefit because as we get all the gunk out, then he can fill us up. But until that gunk is out, it's going to come out someplace. And many of you, you've seen this in your relationships already. You're thinking, who is this person that I'm in relationship with, whether married or friends, that you thought everything was great until pressure came applied, and then you saw the other side of that person. And that can be either good or bad. Because I believe that hard times don't make our character. Hard times reveal our character of what's inside. And so I hope that you can get this this morning. I hope that you understand that it is our job to be people of character. If we're going to follow God, we should be people of godly character. It's not enough to just attend on a Sunday. It's not enough to just wear the t-shirt, sing the songs without having the lifestyle. And that's the problem. It requires pressure as he begins to show what's inside of you that needs to be changed. And the only way he can do that, it'd be great if he could just say, poof, But he realizes this is, over time, stuff's going to happen in your life. And then we're going to find out what happens. What are you going to say? What are you going to do? How are you going to respond? What's inside of you? Even Jesus had to deal with this. What comes out when pressure is applied to you? So Matthew chapter 26, here we go. Jesus is getting ready for his final week. And he calls all of his buddies together, and they go to this place called Gethsemane, which is an olive orchard. And they call it a garden, but it's not like there was, you know, food there. It was just an olive garden. I don't think olives are food, but that's that's okay. So Jesus went with them. His his disciples, to the olive grove called Gethsemane. He said, I want you to sit here while I go over there and pray. See, he realized he, get this right off the bat, come on, tune in this morning. He realized he himself had to make a decision that nobody else could make for him. Did you ever wonder that? And, and part of that is what happens when we get squeezed Many times when pressure comes, we want somebody else to make the decision. It's almost like being in the NFL where you have to decide, do you want to receive the kickoff? Do you want to kick off? And you, with your feelings and that intense pressure, you decide to defer. Well, I don't know. You decide. And I love my wife. She is, she is everything that I need and want, and yet we are so different at times. It is amazing. 
And it, on purpose, because God gave me what I needed. He knew I didn't need another one of me. I would be a mess if I had another one of me. <laughs> but if you're married, you've probably had a situation like this where you have a, a very loving spouse, whether it's your husband or your wife or this person that you're in relationship with, and, and you find out how different you are because of your, your personality and also your speech patterns. And we've had many of these conversations that go something like this. Hey, let's go get something to eat. Now, you hear the murmur going through the crowd? <laughs> Get in the car. We're loving each other. We're going to go out. Nobody has to cook. The food just tastes better when somebody else cooks it. Where do you want to go? I don't care. Great, let's go to Arby's. Oh, I don't like Arby's. <laughs> Okay, well, where are you going to go? I don't care. You pick. (laughs) And on and on and on. Right? Because what's happening is she does care. (laughs) But it's a test. If you are single this morning, listen up. You'll save yourself this encounter. It's a test. She wants me to guess what she wants. She's not going to tell me because she doesn't care. Now I interpret that. I've learned over our course of, that when she says, I don't care, what she really means is, I don't care what you want. And I get that now, and I'm okay. We don't have to argue about it. It's, I get it. But when you're first married, that gets kind of frustrating, because then you're like, well, how about Mexican? No. How about Thai food? No. It sounds like you do care. And the tension rises in the car, and you're like, just pick. I, I really don't care. Just you pick. But what happens when there is no multiple choice? What happens when there's only one choice and you have to make it? And it's a hard choice. It's the choice that you wouldn't want to make. In fact, it's the opposite of the choice that you would make. What happens when it's the hardest choice you'll ever make? And nobody can make it for you. It's not that you don't have friends and it's not that they're not close, but you're the only one that can make this choice. And the the hinge for whether you make this choice or not is left in your hands as to what's going to happen next. And in fact, you know that what's going to happen next when you make this decision is going to be hard. It's not going to be easier once you've made the decision. It's not like you've got the, the pain of a blister or something and then once you pop it, oh, the relief. How about it gets worse? So here's where he's at. He's in the olive grove. He said, I'm going to go over here and, I, and I've got to pray. And he took Peter and, and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. Look at this. There's, he knows what's going to happen. He's anguished. He's distressed. Something in his flesh. He knows what's, what's happened. And he, and he tells them, look at this. My soul is crushed. With grief to the point of death, I feel like I'm dying. Would you stay here with me and keep watch? My soul is crushed. He went on a little farther and he bowed with his face to the ground and he began to pray, My Father, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering, what's God calling him to? Now, this is his son. Wouldn't you think he'd call his son to blessing and honor and favor? And yet, look at what he's calling him to. I'm calling you to do something hard, son. And I've got your back, but it's not going to be easy. Will you let this cup of suffering be taken away from me? Now, this is good. I believe two things. I believe that when hard times come, we need to pray. (laughs) 
And I also believe we should check the will of God. Lord, is this your will or have I mistaken? Because nobody wants to pray for pain and suffering, right? Nobody sits down and says, what's the best way I could suffer today? Lord, that's the one I pick. We just don't do it. And I would advise you to do that. God doesn't want us to suffer, but there are times that he calls us to do what his will requires. And even though it's hard, he doesn't give us the leniency to say, oh, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know it was hard. Okay, never mind. It doesn't work that way. If you're a lady here this morning, if you've had children, imagine saying in the middle of labor, "Uh, I've decided not to. I'm kind of done with this. It doesn't work that way, does it? (laughs) But notice what he does. He asks, Lord, is there any other way? Now, why this is so important is this. I believe that there's a a lot of ideas about God in the world today. And so we're talking about Jesus, who is the physical representation of God on the planet. He's God with skin on. And there's many people that believe he's just a good man, he's just a teacher, he's just a rabbi, he's a prophet, he's this, and yet they forget that he is God. And then there's another part of people that say, well, he's God, it was easy for him to live. He's still flesh, he still feels pain, he has pain receptors, he knows what it means to be hungry, he's had tired feet, he's got calluses on his knees, he knows what dust smells like, he knows what dirty people smell like, he knows what leprosy looks like, he's still human. And that's the weirdness of how God works, is he's 100% God and 100% human. And for you math scholars out there, that's 200%, Pastor. Yeah, just wrap your head around it. I can't explain it. And he knows exactly what's happening. It's not like he's like, oh, I think there's another choice. He knows exactly. I mean, listen, folks. He has seen crucifixions before. It's not like this is a new thing that they did, right? This is the form of punishment of the existing government. He has seen what happens. He has seen how long it lasts. He has seen the brutality. He has seen the full spectrum of that, and that's what he has been called to. And yet his flesh is saying, if there's some other way, if I can achieve your will some other way, would you let me know? Maybe I'm missing it. Yet... It's not about my will because nobody would volunteer for that. It's not about my will. Let your will be done. Now let's get over the hard hump this morning and here it goes. For many of you, this is why you're stuck. Not only in your faith and in your relationships and with your children and jobs is you're unwilling to do the hard thing because for you, it's all about your will not his will. And the only way that you're going to get into his favor and blessing and honor and promotion, it's not about keeping the rules. It's not about attending the right amount of time. It's not about being the faithful tither. Those are blessings to us. But if you want to be in the pure will of God, you've got to prepare yourself and you've got to leave some room in your life for some crushing. As he crushes your will and inserts his will. And that's the wrestling point that many of you are still struggling with, is you know what you're supposed to do, but that doesn't look very fun. That requires a lot of hardness. That requires some change. That requires me to give up on me and start doing what he wants, and I'm not so sure I want that. Just like I shared last week, for many of us, I'm just being honest because I love you and we need to be people that can be transformed by the power of God. As many of us are saying, I don't have time for that mess. Or I'm just not going to do that. And you're depending on His grace, and His grace is incredible and wonderful, but it's still keeping you where you're at. And there's no way to get over that obstacle until you make that hard decision, until you lay down your will and say, Lord, your will be done, even if it's difficult, even if it's hard, even if it's the last thing I would choose, let your will be done. That's what's hard. And here's Jesus that still wrestles, and he gives us a great template to say, when our humanity humanity meets God, we've got a decision to make. Will I trust him? Will I trust him to make the decision that will be best? Will I trust him 
to lead me when it's hard? Will I trust Him with my suffering, with my pain, with my problems? Will I trust Him? Or or I'm going to invest more in my will that will keep me away from problems and pain and pressure and His blessing and living the surrendered life. And I think it's pretty interesting if you read that whole story that at one point he's praying... uh, not just this one, but in several other Gospels, he prayed so intensely that it said he began to sweat like drops of blood dripping off of him. Now, I don't know if you've ever prayed like that, and I'm not talking about being in the tropics where it's hot outside. I'm talking about you're in such a warfare, you're in such a prayer mode, you're in such an intense encounter with God that you, the body responds and he begins to drip. And it's this big analogy that we're going to see going on here of not only where he's at, but what he's got to do. And so I want to share with you real quick what this really means, because uh, in this crushing, we're talking about olives in an olive grove, right? And so there's this process that I've assigned them all S's just so we can all remember them. But again, this is not the true wording. But when you go to harvest olives, they take a big rake, and first they have to be selected. What are the good olives? What are the great olives? So you have to select those, and they rake them out of the trees, and then they take them someplace for processing, someplace to, they can be transformed from their original state into the state that you want them to be in. And then some surgery is applied as they remove the hard thing in the middle. You know, Ezekiel talks a lot about that, that I'll give you a new heart. I'll take the heart of stone out of you, and I'll give you a heart of flesh. See, that's a surrendering of will. Because when our heart is hard, we say to God, no, I'm not going to do that. Why would I do that? That doesn't make any sense. Why would I do that? And yet with a flesh heart, we say, your will be done. It doesn't matter whether it's hard. Your will be done. Then there's some squishing. And in the biblical days, they would take a massive round stone or a massive press, and they'd lay out all the olives and begin to crush them. Not because they hated the olives. There's no malice here. And the olives did have some value. But what they were after was what was on the inside. Church, can I tell you this morning that God is what's after on your inside? The outside that we spend most of our time on is of such small consequence to Him. It's all about the inside. And we have to leave some room in our life for some crushing so that He can get the insides that He's after. So after things have been squished, heavy pressure is applied, right? Again and again and again. Then there's some separation because now you've got oil leaking out. And so they put down a layer of of a a cloth, almost like a cheese cloth or a, a grated cloth so that all the oil goes through, but all the paste and the gunk and the dross and the chaff. And the Bible is replete with these type of stories of of getting rid of the chaff, getting rid of the stuff that isn't needed, of of heating the pot up so that the dross, the mess, rises to the surface and skimming it off. That's the process of Christianity. That's the process of following God. That's why many of us are struggling because we don't want the heat turned up. We don't want the pressure applied. We don't want the chaff blown away. But when you keep that in there, it keeps you impure. It keeps you from being the fool that you're supposed to be with God. And if we can trust Him that He'll use all of our experience, both good and bad, for good, then we have to be able to say, let your will be done. And many of you are squirming right now. You're like, oh, I don't know where this is going. You know, you know where it's going. That's why you're squirming. If you didn't know where, you're, where you were going, you'd be saying, how's he going to wrap this up? Or how long is it going to take? But if you're squirming, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You realize the areas of your life you have not surrendered to his will. And he's never going to stop asking for it. He's going to continue to apply the pressure, not because he hates you, but because he loves you. We have to leave room for that crushing. 
So you get squished and the oil comes out. It drips through the cheesecloth. All that paste and all that stuff is removed. And, and that's the thing. You think, okay, man, we got it all out of there. Nope. Again and again and again until they get every last drop of the oil that they were after out of that stuff. And then that is separated and taken and put in a big vat and sealed so that nothing gets in there and doesn't get contaminated. It stays pure because they're after the flavor of the olive oil and they want it to maintain a right flavor, not get stale or rancid. And then they take the rest of that that paste and that gunk and they can use it for other things. They don't just throw it out. They can be used. And there's parts of our life that need to be crushed so that oil can be revealed, but also so that other stuff can be used for something else. It becomes part of our story. It becomes part of our testimony. It becomes part of how we relate to other people because there's people around us that are getting crushed. And there's an opposite to this that I want you to know as well, and we have to be able to tell the difference. And I don't have the time to explain that. Maybe that's another sermon is this. We also have an enemy that says that I want to sift you. And if you don't know what sifting means, that means they pour all the, whether it be dirt or wheat or whatever, into a big box and then they shake it and shake it and shake it. And if you feel like your world is shaking, maybe you're getting sifted. But the Bible is very clear. He says we have inherited a kingdom that cannot be Shaken. We can be shaken, but His will cannot. His kingdom cannot. Our lives can be shaken easily, right? All it takes is a doctor's report. All it takes is a bad phone call. All it takes is an unexpected bill. All it takes is a call from a child. All it takes is a new diagnosis. All it takes is, I don't like the weather. And I got to say for just a minute, put the sermon on pause. I find it so interesting that people are, we're so so unique. Melissa and I grew up in, a, in the central part of the state where we get a lot of sunshine, about 300 days. And then we moved to uh, central Washington, which was the opposite. We got about the 65 days, right? Got actually more rain than we get here. You're thinking, how can that be? It's possible, I know. But it's amazing how many times I run into people in Longview that complain about the rain, and I'm thinking, how long have you lived here? All my life. <laughs> hmm. That's interesting to me. <laughs> uh, did you expect that somehow you're hoping for global warming? I mean, what, what? But even more interesting is about this time of year, if we ever have a week of hot spells, people start to get worried. You know, because we've only got three rivers within spitting distance. Oh, God, we got it. Man, I hope it rains. We're going to need that water. It's flowing right over there. You know what's happening? Is we're just never happy, right? When it's rainy, I wish the sun would come out. As soon as the sun comes out and it gets above 70 degrees, good God, when's the rain coming back? Yeah, my wife would never say that. She would never say, when's the rain coming back? So do you, you understand that God's trying to do this process in you? And we talked about this last week. Every last one of you has been selected by God. That's amazing. You've been chosen. And through the process of salvation, He begins to work on the hard places in our lives. Because left in there is not a good thing. I don't know if you've ever bitten into a pit or a seed. Not a comfortable thing. And those hard things need to be removed. But they can't do the squishing until the hard things are removed. And so if you want to see what's on the inside, maybe, maybe where you're stuck is that you still have those hard things that you've got to allow God to remove. Because they're never going to apply the pressure until the pit is removed. But when it does... Just understand that the pressure is applied to reveal what's on the inside because he considers it precious. 
He considers it valuable. He considers it more valuable than what's on the outside. See, this is the problem in our American culture. We spend way too much time and put such high value on the outside. And we're becoming a nation of pretty Barbie and Ken people with dead souls. And God would look on the inside and say, wow, they don't line up. He does not want his people to have dead souls. He does not want us to be rock-hard people. I just saw a thing on the local news talking about the fact that Oregon and, and Washington, really we don't have much use for making friends. They pulled a bunch of people and said, hey, you know, how are you with making friends? I'm fine. No, I believe some of that's our culture coming from European, Norwegian, Nordic, Finnish, all those where we're just kind of stoic, do it ourselves, pull ourselves far up. But at the same time, God has made us to be in relationship with each other. Not to be self-serving, not to be self-motivated, not to be self-centered. He's made us to care for each other and love each other and help each other and bear each other's burden. That's the mark of a Christian. That's the problem is you can't live that life and then say, oh, I serve God. No, you don't. You serve you. Because sooner or later, it's going to ask you to lay down that self and you're going to have to decide, am I going to do the hard thing or am I going to do the me thing? And the graciousness of God is he'll give you that opportunity again and again and again. We talked about this a few weeks ago. It's no different than an addict, whatever you're addicted to. And don't just think drugs and alcohol. There's many things we're addicted to. But he wants to get to the point where it's not about what you need in your body because you just dry out enough, your body won't need it. The question is, when the hard time comes, will you run back to it? Are you going to run back to it? It's not that you need it anymore, but that's your shield. That's your favorite place. Instead of running to him, you run to it. And he's going to give you that opportunity again and again and again. And when the pressure gets applied, we're going to find out, will you run to him? Or you run back to your stuff? Now, I remember very clearly time in my life, I had such great people around me, my best friend and trusted advisors and mentors. And I... I was so thankful, and so whenever questions came up, I knew I could call. I knew I could ask. I knew not only would they pray for me, but they would give me an answer that would be best for me and would be the, the answer that God would want me to do. And I didn't realize how blessed I was until we entered a phase of ministry where I had some hard decisions to make, and I couldn't get a hold of any of those people. I'm thinking, what's going on? What am I going to do? And it was just almost instantaneously. I didn't hear it on the outside, but I sure heard it on the inside. Why are you asking them when you could ask me? It's not that you can't ask your best friend, but, but he's just human. Why are you running to these people when you've got a God? That's a great question. And it helps solidify that When God says yes, he means yes, whether it's hard or not. And when God says no, he means no, whether it's hard or not. The hard part is when you don't have a clear understanding. That's when we need our friends. That's when we need counselors. And hopefully they would point me to God. Because even human experience is not the same person to person. What may be okay for you and work for you may be the exact wrong thing for me. So understand that He has separated us. He has sealed us. But here's some things I want you to understand this. The will of God for Jesus Christ was the cross. Right? God's will for His Son was not to come and just hang out with people and be loved. His purpose for coming was the cross. Jesus died physically on that cross, but I'm telling you, he died to his will in Gethsemane. 
Because if he wouldn't have died to his will, he would have tried to prolong it and make another day because that's what we all do. None of us want to go through the pain. None of us want to face the pressure. If there's some other way to do this and we procrastinate, we put it off and we start asking for a sign. Isn't that amazing that Jesus Christ, God himself, didn't ask for a sign? Lord, if this is what you really want me to do, then I want you to give me a sign. Because what that's really showing, church, and I know, hey, we see it in the Old Testament, we see somebody doing it, but what we're really showing is we doubt God. When we ask for signs, we're doubting God instead of taking Him at His word. And it's just His patience and it's just His love that instead of Him just striking us dead and dumb on the spot, He's like, you need a sign? Great, it's not going to make the choice any easier, but I'll give you a sign. Because we think somehow the sign will make it easier. But it doesn't. It just delays the inevitable. Like I said about Abraham. He just said, I want you to take your son and start walking in the wilderness. Think about the agony. He made him suffer with that for three days, church. I would have wanted to get over with as fast as I could. But every day, is this the day? Nope, you just keep walking. You just keep thinking about having to kill your son. You just keep thinking about living a life without him. You just keep thinking about, are you going to trust me on day one and trust me on day two? And finally, okay, now. And I think maybe it took the three days for him to work it out. And, and I think it wasn't about the length of the journey. I think about the journey that was going on in Abraham, that Abraham finally said, Lord, let's get this over with. I'll do it great, this is a great place to stop. Because it wasn't something significant. It's like, oh, there's a hill. Great, go up on that hill. It was the journey that Abraham had to make. Not in the physical, but in the spiritual. And many of you understand that journey. The problem is you keep saying no. And that journey's going to get long. He had to die to his own will in the garden. Because, listen, you think, well, he's God. He didn't have a will. Then why was he tempted? He was tempted to give up his will. He was tempted to change the course of events. He was tempted because he was still human. If he wasn't human, he couldn't be tempted. God can't be tempted. Only humans can be tempted. The power of allowing your will, your soul, that's what he's talking about, that mind, soul, and spirit to be crushed is what allows that anointing to be released. And I'm not talking about sweating, spitting, preaching good anointing. I'm talking about that oil that was inside of us that's released, that God says that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That you'll know a new freedom, that you'll know a new power, that you'll know a new, uh, I hate to use this word, a, a slickness, that there's no friction between you and God anymore. The cost for us is 23 cents per ounce, but the cost for the olive is everything. See, Jesus understood this. The olives in those trees understood it. We're thinking, oh, olive oil, yeah, I can go to Target and get 16 ounces for $3.99. In fact, that's the extra virgin. That's the best. That's the most pure olive oil. I can get that for $3.99. What did it cost the olives? pulled from where they were, set apart, squished, pit removed, crushed again and again and again to get the purest out of them, and then sealed up. But so many uses, so much value of olive oil. Imagine what our church would look like if we would surrender to the crushing of God. If each one of us lived crushed lives. What would your marriage look like if you're both crushed people? See, this is, this is what's hard. In our thought process, especially as Westerners, when we hear broken, we think something to be fixed and thro- or thrown away. Because nobody wants to have something that's broken. And yet with God, he's like, broken's right where I move in and start something wonderful. Crushed is exactly the place I'm trying to bring you to. 
because when you're crushed, all your pride is removed, all your ego is removed, all your excuses are removed. All those self-fulfilling prophecies that we do of why we're stuck in those patterns, all that gets removed, and that friction between you and your will and God's will, all of a sudden it flows. That's what he's after. Imagine what your neighborhood would look like if you started living a crushed life. What would your business, where you work or what you own or an employer, a teacher, a pipe welder, whatever it is that you do, what would your workspace look like if you lived as a crushed person? instead of demanding your rights and always seeking promotion and the favor, instead of seeking God's favor and sometimes doing the hard thing, that may mean stepping out of the way so that God can have the glory. I think it would be transformative. I think we would see results like Jesus saw because once we can get that out of the way, our focus becomes very clear. Because after this point, he never again doubts. He never again wavers. He keeps saying, I've got to go back to Jerusalem. I've got to go back to Jerusalem. I'm waiting. I've told you this is going to happen, and now I've got to go. And nothing's going to hold me back. I'm going to go. And that's that's why his followers, that's why his closest friends couldn't get it. See, they hadn't made that decision like he had made. You notice he went a little further and prayed by himself. They were just praying, God, I hope this works out. Now, I didn't say that, but I can tell you from their response, they're just praying, God, I hope this works out. I hope he becomes the ruler we all believe him to be. I hope he's this king that he keeps proclaiming himself to be. But they didn't have to have that decision of having to have their souls crushed so that they could understand what it's about. In fact, Peter, the one that was his fiercest companion, says, I'm not going to let that happen. Think about that. Jesus has already settled it, saying, your will be done. And Peter steps up and says, I'm not going to let you go to the cross. And when the pressure came, they all fled. And he even told them in advance. He kept telling them, get ready for the pressure, boys. The pressure's coming. And they still have to do it one by one. They have to make their own individual decisions. And Peter failed again and again and again. And the lovely part of the scripture is this. God still loved him, still pursued him, still reconciled him. In fact, went after him to make sure he didn't think that he had been disqualified. That's the amazing part of our God. So if you've been making wrong choices, don't think, oh, I've just went too far. No, you haven't. But you also haven't avoided the hard choice as well. Imagine what it would be like. You see, there's much more to our Christian life than blessing, favor, Promotion, increase. I mean, those are things that that can and should happen, but not always. There's no promise of that. The thing that we maybe think is about blessing, maybe God says, that's not a blessing, that's a curse. Our true value can't be found in our original state. If we just lived the life we always lived before Christ afterwards, what did we get saved for? What did we get selected for? Think about that. We pull the olives off the tree and we let them sit on the ground. Oh, I'd hate to change them. You know what they do on the ground? Rot. Because they were given for a special purpose. There is significant value in being crushed by the hand of God. Not being sifted by the devil. Nobody should ask for that and we have to be able to resist that. But there is significant value that's released in our lives when we understand what happens when God applies pressure to us and we stop finally resisting. Something that God showed me as I was studying this not just in the Word, but that process. So I thought, man, we're talking about tons of force that's being applied, especially modern-day hydraulic presses. Why not just spare the part of pulling the pit out? Obviously, that thing can crush it. 
But then that hard thing gets broken into lots of pieces and distributed into the rest of what's left over. And instead of one problem, now you've got multiple little seeds of problems. He's like, let's just deal with it now. Let's just, let's just take it out. If you can trust me to select you, how about you trust me to remove that thing? You'll actually be, even there's a hole left there where it's been removed, you're still better off than with that thing inside of you. <laughs> yes, it's painful. Yes, dying to self isn't fun. Yes, letting go of what used to be our lives. Yes, embracing God's greater purpose is hard and painful, but that's what he's called us to. And I hope you can understand this last part. You see, if you want the will of God for your life, you've got to leave room for the crushing because God does love your olive, but he's after your oil. God loves us as, as beings. As he gave us bodies on purpose. But the bodies weren't supposed to be the be-all, say-all of our experience. The body was just be, supposed to be the house for the oil. He has given us the Holy Spirit to be carried around in this thing. This is just our earth suit to be worn while we're here. But when the time comes, we don't need flesh and blood. But what's on the inside is what's going to be incredibly valuable, not just for eternity, and I hope that you get this, not just for that time, okay, I'll wait until I'm almost dead, and then I'll turn my life over. You will have wasted a life because your life and the anointing was to reduce the friction of not only you between God, but other people between God. It was to call them out to be different, to be that light, to be that salt, to be the anointing of God because we are called people. We are sent people. We are anointed people, not to just do it for ourselves and, whoo, look at me, but to be people that break down the barriers between the world and God, between the people that we come in contact with, that there's friction. And I get this. Even on a sense, before I was ever saved, I was one of those wacko, smelly wrestler people. And I had an added benefit. I was a sweaty person. And for many of you, that seems so repulsive that two guys in singlets would actually lay on each other and grab each other and hold each other. And, but it was some treasured years of my life. <laughs> Probably what's wrong with me today. But if you've ever had to deal with that, you realize how hard it is to grip somebody that's covered in a fine lather of sweat. Bible says, give no foothold to the devil. So think of a rock face that's got a spot for you to put your foot on and now cover that in Crisco. The foothold is still there, but what happens? Can't get a grip. You want to know how to keep the grip of the enemy and the grip of the world off of you? It's crushing. Releasing that oil in us. God loves your oil or your olive, but he's after your oil, church. <laughs> Not to take it, but to release it. It's got purpose. It's got value. What's inside of you has purpose and value. Even if it's been hard through all the pain and all that stuff, I get it. But God can take something that was hard and remove it, and God can take something in you and release it and make something valuable and wonderful out of it. But it means we have to leave room for crushing. Here's how to do that, and we'll be out of here. Just four simple ways. First, you've got to stop striving and start abiding. You've got to stop fighting him when the hard decisions come because <laughs> he's going to keep bringing them because he loves you. 
and start abiding in him. Lord, if it's your will, if it's in your word, then I can live in that. I can dwell in that. I'm, I'm okay with that. And then confess your need for control. He already knows it, but you've got to confess it and say, Lord, I hate feeling out of control. Great, now we've got that out of the way. Let's deal with this. I mean, that's really what Jesus was saying, right? I'd like to be able to control the outcome. I'd like to avoid the pain. Is there another way we can do this without me dying horribly? And that's what your inner desire is saying. God, is there a way that we can both work this out where self stays intact and yet I receive all the great things that you want? And the answer is no. And then like Jesus, we need to be still and know. Pastors, it talks about that. Be still and know that He is God. For some of us, we have to wrestle with that down deep, right? Because when we exert control, what we're really saying is, you ain't God. I'm God over my life. I'm God over my decisions. I'm God over my body. And we need to be still and know that He is God and He is sufficient and He is capable. And then trust the process. He's been doing it since the very beginning. (laughs) And we read these stories, right? Nobody remembers the stories where the dude was evil and lasted two years and his kingdom was destroyed. Who wants that life? We read the stories of Daniel in the lion's den, right? Hard situation, pressure applied. We read the stories of the three Hebrew boys in the fire, hard situation, and the pressure is applied. The question is, will you step into the pages of that story, and will you be the person where the hard situation and the pressure is applied so they can get the anointing out of you? That's the big question. Will you trust the process? Because it's always going to be hard. There's no easy way around it. And the more we try to avoid it, the more we're leaving ourselves empty. We've got to stop focusing on the olive and figure out what's it going to take to release the oil. Because you know what? I see all kinds of different people, ages, backgrounds, hair color, some no hair, some everything. But you know what's the same in all of us? Christ. That's what needs to be released. And that's the end that you need to see, that big wrap-up right there. Do you know what Messiah means? When we say Jesus the Messiah, the anointed one. And I think there's no mistake that in an olive grove... Your will be done. He became Messiah. When he sweat through that process, God said, now you're anointed. Now you can go to the cross. Now you're ready for the resurrection. Now the fullness of my will can be revealed in you. What about you? about you. Will you leave room for some crushing this morning?